Good to see you this morning. Uh, we're continuing in a series uh, for September. It's called More Than Me. And we're doing that perennial favorite, that guaranteed home run sermon series on self-denial. And uh, this is what in September as people you know, coming back maybe to church, this is what you do. Uh, you talk about everybody's favorite. And so we're, we're going to go into, I think, some very challenging terrain this morning as we consider the call of Jesus, which is, I think, for the most part, quite underrated, uh, maybe untested, and unpopular. So that's where we're going. Uh, before we do that, I want to make a bit of a confession. Since we're tel- talking about self-denial, I want you to know up front how bad I am at it, because I thought that would be important that you know this. This week, uh, some friends of ours gave us two expansion packs for the board game Catan. My kids have been growing older, and one of the joys of getting older kids is that we can now do things that I'm also interested in and don't have to (laughs) pretend that I'm into it as well. And so I love Catan, and we we never had an expansion pack. And we got this friend gave us two cities and nights, and I don't remember the other one. Uh, which is, you'll, you'll find out why in a second. So two expansion packs, Friday night, family night. It's going to be great. Had extra snacks, treats, Catan. I sit down. I've been looking forward to this, which tells you how exciting my life is. I've been really looking forward to this Catan time. And uh, I get outvoted. I get outvoted. Actually, nobody's interested in Catan. Uh, people want to play the game Wildcraft, the game that uh, the mom bought. And, well, you need to see this. Here's the board. <laughs> Exceedingly unnecessarily long pathway <laughs> that goes around. And in the middle is the huckleberry bush. And those are what you're trying to get are the huckleberries. But as you're traversing, you uh, will land on spots. Next slide where you get this. Injuries, like sore muscles. <laughs> um, you're hungry. You have a fever. There are cards that are, have diarrhea. I kid you not. All kinds of all kinds of maladies. But you're also picking up these cards, uh, like things like dandelion and burdock and echinacea and stinging nettle. And by the way, this is a cooperative game. So, so one of your teammates that you're all trying to get to the huckleberries, something bad happens, and who's got echinacea? I got it all. And and so you're sharing these things that you've harvested. The, the only tension in the game is that uh, there, there's a time span that you've got to get to the huckleberries before the day ends, and you land on certain spots, and it causes the sun to move. And so wanting to up the ante, I asked, I said, so what happens if the kids don't get to the huckleberries? Like, if the day ends, and everyone said, well, nothing. I said, well... That's no fun. Let's say that the kids die. <laughs> like, if they don't get to the huckleberries, everybody dies. And Amy said, nobody's dying in the dark, Lance. Okay, so the result then, you can see uh, Wildcraft goes long. And my response, uh, embarrassingly, was I sulked. I pouted. I did internal complaints. I worked hard this week. I was just looking forward to a little bit of fun stuck playing Wildcraft and thinking about my friends and what they're doing on Friday night. I'm like, we're not even going to get to the huckleberries. Like, what is this point? I'm, I, I have a hard time denying myself in a board game. 
because I don't get to play Cities and Nights expansion pack. That was, that was just one thing in my week. So that's full disclosure. This is David Foster Wallace. This is a long quote, but I, I think it's worth it. Here's just one example of the total wrongness of something I tend to be automatically sure of. Everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe, the realist, most vivid and important person in existence. We rarely think about this sort of natural, basic self-centeredness because it's so socially repulsive, but it's pretty much the same for all of us. It's our default setting, hardwired into our boards at birth. Think about it. There is no experience you have had that you are not the absolute center of. The world, as you experience it, is right in front of you or behind you, to the left or right of you on your TV, on your monitor, and so on, and other people's thoughts and feelings have to be communicated to you somehow, but your own are so immediate, urgent, real. Please don't worry that I'm getting ready to lecture you about compassion or other directedness or all the so-called virtues. This is not a matter of virtue. It's a matter of my choosing to do the work of somehow altering or getting free of my natural hardwired default setting which is to be deeply and literally self-centered and to see and interpret everything through this lens of self. People who can adjust their natural default setting this way are often described as being well-adjusted, which I suggest to you is not an accidental term. You still with me? I think it's interesting what David Foster Wallace is going on about. Number one, the, the image of default settings. And I want to look at a number of different images to, to try and imagine this. Number two, him saying we need more than lectures, which is so true. I think we, uh, probably the most of, most of us would say, yeah, I know selfishness bad. Uh, I know I should at least be aware of other people to a degree. I think we'd more or less share that viewpoint, but we need more than lectures, more than a slap on the wrist. The third thing about this that I'm interested about, and he doesn't really get to say what he means by this, but it's the line, my choosing to do the work of somehow altering or getting free. And that's what I most want to know about is, well, okay, I know that that kind of self-centeredness is, it, it, isn't good, but what's the alternative and how do you find it? How do you escape that orbit? And it kind of reminds me of my dad's all-time favorite joke. Uh, and being his son, I've heard him tell this, I would guess, probably 600 times without an exaggeration. And it's, you, you likely know this, it's interjecting in a conversation at some point. Well, enough about me. What about you? What do you think of me? That's the, that's the classic uh, Bernal Odegaard joke. And, and I, I feel like when we come to this topic of self-centeredness, that's kind of a, about it. Well, well, I know, enough of me at some point. What about you? And eventually, but me. It's like this very short boomerang that eventually will come back to me. Conversation, listen, 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 look, wait till you're done talking, me. Right? And so how do, how do we... How do we move a little further out of that orbit of self? And so that's what I'd, look, I'd like to look at with you. I'd like to say a short prayer for help, and then we'll get into Colossians.
We pray, God, for grace to uh, lift up our gaze, lift up our sight this morning, and to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 2.6, if you are around last week, you know this, this was our anchor text, and it's going to be our anchor text for this series. Colossians 2.6 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And uh, just real three quick things to note in the text. The first, as you received Christ as Lord kind of slips by because it sounds religious, sounds biblical, and, and it sounds like what you'd expect when you're reading the scripture. Christ as Lord, Christ as leader, Christ as boss, Christ as king, ruler. And so that's the first thing. It's a movement from being self-ruled to Christ-ruled. And then there's a trajectory saying, continue in this, in him. Continue moving forward. And the third thing then is this outcome, overflowing thankfulness, which is the opposite of entitlement, which is the opposite of a smug kind of like, yeah, I had it coming. Like, of course, of course I'm getting that. It's the opposite of being all about me. So that's the outcome, overflowing thankfulness. This is the way of Jesus moves people under his rule, deeper and deeper into being fascinated with him, and the outcome is an overflowing gratitude, astonishment, thankfulness. But it doesn't stop there. We continued last week. We looked at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow, deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. That word captive is interesting. Watch out that you're not taken captive, that you don't get stuck, that you somehow uh, just become all about yourself. And, and when he's saying, watch out for deceptive philosophy, this is not anti-intellectualism, this isn't anti-philosophers, no Derrida, do not read, none of that. But he, he's, he's saying, watch out for the spirit of the age, watch out for the, spirit, the elemental spiritual forces, the trend of the day that will cause you to make your life, to base it on a foundation on something other than Christ. Watch out, see to it. That's the easiest thing that will happen. Without vigilance, that is the natural path. So what could we say then, what, what's the spirit of the day? What's the spirit of the age? One, one way we could find out is we gotta listen to our prophets, our stand-up comics. And here's one, here's one of my favorite Forgive the poor quality here, but uh, it's a really bad image, but here we go. I don't get the mirrors, you know? I don't want to see myself working out. I know what I look like. That's why I'm going to the gym. Honestly, there's some people that do want that, right? They're like, if I'm going to be working out, I want to look at something like myself. I want to look at myself while I work on myself. I should do a recording so I can listen to myself while I look at myself, while I work on myself. As I leaf through myself magazine, read how myself can improve myself. Maybe I'll go to my Facebook page and look at photos of myself. Read what myself has written about myself. Yo soy muy importante. 
down. <laughs> so Gaffigan's playfully poking at what we could say is part of the spirit of the age in the context of a gym. Uh, and there seems to be a lot of uh, anxiety, a lot of writing in the wider culture about, hey, what's going on with us here? There's a recent Time article uh, called The Mimi Generation, really hard on millennials, but thankfully not just blaming millennials because they're saying, actually, millennials' parents, the boomers, were called the me generation. And, and talking about this, particularly through technology, um, uh, how today's culture and technologies feed narcissism. And this is what a lot of people are kind of like, whoa, we seem like we're different. We're different than our grandparents that were really into volunteering and, and delayed gratification and sacrifice. What's happening? It seems like as a people, we're shifting. What is, what is this? Uh, and, and so we're trying to, as a wider culture, figure out what, what is this shift? And one of the words that gets thrown around is narcissism, and, and you may know this term derives from a Greek myth about narcissists, who was uh, so self-obsessed that he peered into this, this pool, into this lake, into his reflection, and eventually fell in. And so it's based on this myth of narcissism, of, of peering into your own image, and then eventually being your own undoing. So narcissism, self-absorption, self preoccupation. And there's a cultural critic, critic called Christopher Lash. He wrote a book called The Culture of Narcissism. And what he's trying to map out is he's saying, hmm, this is an interesting correlation. In the West, there's been a decline of religion. At the same time, as that decline's happened, there's been an incline, an increase of narcissism. I wonder if those two have anything to do with it. And what Lash is arguing is he's saying, in the West, a dominant identity or personality of our time is narcissism. And, 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 and it, narcissism, he said, is an arrogant insecurity. Which, theologically, if you know the, the overall arc of, of Scripture, humans made in God's image, Genesis 1, are designed in them to be image bearers. This is the language of Imago Dei. And so... A biblical anthropology is a human being is designed to carry around with them an image and to reflect an image and to point to the glory, not of themselves, but the image of God. They're designed to bear the image of a God who's actually a relationship, a community, a God who's known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their relationship is full of self-giving love. That relationship defers to one another and confers glory and gives glory. And so a human being then is designed to be brought into that relationship and is made to confer and to defer and to glorify and to point beyond itself. The, the story of scripture then is when that kind of image bearing gets turned around and reversed and rather than reflecting, it's gazing upon the mirror. And it becomes about what I want to reveal to the world is my glory. Expressivism. I want you to know my glory. And so I think what Lash is arguing is if there is a decline in a connection to a, a story about your life being something other than yourself, 
then by nature, the human heart is a vacuum, and that needs to be filled with some kind of worship. And what, the, what most people, all people will do, uh, not most, all, is worship something, direct the gaze somewhere, and th- there's trade-offs. So in a world then that, like the, the primary pool to gaze into, you know, slowly kind of cuts you off from people, <laughs> you're less communal, you're made in the image of God who is by definition relational, so therefore you are relational. And more and more of your time is just kind of spent gazing. Like the image of a narcissist is like in bed, beginning the day and closing the day on the screen. And there's hours, and this posture and pattern just develops, and you go, Why am I so lonely? I don't have any, my friends never come around. Meanwhile, your friends are like at their home. Why am I so lonely? Nobody's coming around. Does anyone even see me? And, and the fruit of narcissism is, that, you know, as funny as Gaffigan is, the fruit of narcissism is that you're, you're le- it's solitary confinement. The fruit of narcissism is you dwell in the hollow hell of self. And you go, why am I so dissatisfied? Actually, the, the, the Greek for narcissist is numb. Why am I so numb? Why, how am I so filled with lots of stuff, so full of images, and yet so hungry? And so then the question is like, well, what do we do about that? Like, I'm lonely. I, I feel horrible about myself. What would I do? And, and there's all kinds of salvation. There's all kinds of ways prescribed out, and we know them, and we've been raised on them. And this is a culture of self-esteem and participation ribbons. Um, I think there's a participation ribbon image, yeah. Um, that, so the way, if, if you're feeling then insecure, cut off, empty, lonely, then the... Then the then the goal of a, a, f- f- then is just to keep filling that balloon of yourself. Just keep pu- puffing hot air in there. You're awesome. You came last, but you are a winner. Everybody's a winner. That will help you feel better. And I, I, was, I was the first generation raised on self-esteem. My, mine was the first ones through. My mom read a lot of books as an educator about self-esteem, and I was raised on this stuff, and now all kinds of psychologists are saying, essentially, um, we made a mistake. The self-esteem movement was a mistake. <laughs> Big mistake. Gene uh, Twinge says, self-esteem without, basis, without a basis uh, encourages laziness. True confidence comes from honing your talents and learning things, not from being told you're great just because you exist. Building up the self-esteem and importance of children who are already egocentric can, be tr- can bring trouble as it can lead to narcissism. So essentially saying, oh, no, pouring more self on the self, that actually doesn't help. That's, that's just, you're, you're just amplifying the narcissism. 
And this isn't anything new. This whole summer, we were in 1 John, you remember? And we looked at Gnosticism and how there's ancient strains of it and there's very contemporary strains of it. And we talked about how Gnosticism, one way of uh, framing Gnosticism is the gospel of self. And so there's all kinds of ways to try and heal the narcissistic self, whether it's self-esteem and participation ribbons, but there's also religious strains of that as well, which is Gnosticism or the gospel of self. And a couple researchers about 10 years ago, Christian Smith, Melinda Lundquist, they wrote, uh, or they did a bunch of research, researched over a thousand teenagers at the time, distilled all this uh, research, and it was religious and non-religious kids with a variety of uh, affiliations and identities. And and they said, what we learned in these thousand-plus teenagers, the predominant view was something they called moralistic therapeutic deism, which it sounds long. And you're like, we've already looked at narcissism. Now we're doing another one? Yes, but hold on. This is the gospel itself. See if you recognize this. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life. This God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem and good people go to heaven when they die. And so this is a strain that can kind of infect and, and attempt to heal the self. It's like, yeah, God's there, The main point, though, isn't really God, it's actually you, and that you are happy, and that you are finding opportunity to maximize the potential of your happiness in yourself. The object of worship, the pool, the image, is you. Now, when we see this gospel of self and how prevalent it is in wider culture, And if we were to be honest, maybe within our own congregation or our own lives, Paul's words to the Galatians feel striking. 1.6, he says, I'm amazed that you so quickly turned away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The gospel itself is a different gospel. And this is what Paul is contending for in Colossians. So let's go back to Colossians 2 verse 9. So he's saying, see to it that you don't get taken captive. We're saying one of the things we can get taken captive would be narcissism. A strain of that could be moralistic, therapeutic deism. And he continues on here. He says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. These are not words you get over quickly. These are not words that you can just absorb and go, get it, got it, good, and? These here are words you gotta spend some time with to go, what? Okay, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form How do I get my mind around that? And then in Christ, you too have been brought to fullness and that Jesus is the head over every power and authority. Paul's essentially saying, here is an image to gaze at. If if you want to gaze into the pool, gaze into the pool, the depths of Jesus. And what you need 
is, is not more time beholding at the pool of self. You, need, you, you don't need more screen time or, or more time in front of the mirror. What you need is to gaze upon Christ. We looked last week at Luke 24 and the road to Emmaus, and we were reminded how in this story as we watch Jesus, we watch these different chapters in the story. The road, the story, the table, the heart, and the city. And if you remember that first chapter on the road, Jesus finds two people who are done with church, done with the Jesus movement. They've had it. Lots of disillusionment and despair. And we watched how Jesus actually moves towards people like that, draws out their cynicism and pain. Jesus listens to that and makes room. And I don't know, as you've told your stories of pain, but if you've noticed how they they tend often to go circular. Maybe you're telling a friend about something that happened, and this often happens with kids too. You link different episodes with, and then, and then this happened, and then, and then she said, and then, and and if you're listening, you kind of go, well, I've heard that, and then already. (laughs) We were here an hour ago, and we're back here, and we're... And, and we tend to orbit our pain. We, we tend to orbit that location of the, of the wound, and we keep going around. And it's important to notice that Jesus walks with them. But he doesn't stop there. Like Colossians 2, he says, keep going. And they, they, they move from the road into the story. And what Jesus does here is really interesting. Luke 24, he says, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He kind of interrupts the narrative, all the string of then, and then, and then, and then, and says, hey, I want to tell you the main character of the story. I want to tell you about the hero of the tale. I'm going to, and he goes through the whole arc of scripture, and we get to the end, and who's the hero? I can't wait till he says my name. I knew it. I knew it was going to be me. And he just keeps pass, passes you and goes, actually, it's me. I am the center. The whole scripture is talking about me. It's concerning me. I like how Eugene Peterson put it. He says, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Very two likely people who weren't looking for God get interrupted by the presence of Jesus. Now, when my kids were first born, my parents uh, got our, our two oldest these CDs that had their names on it. You remember this, bud? These songs? You don't remember them. Okay. That's good. Uh, and so there's these, these two CDs, and it was kind of a neat novel thing where you could go online as a grandparent or parent, and you'd type in your kid's name, and this company had all kinds of kids' songs recorded, and then all kinds of little overdubs with who knows hundreds of thousands of names. And so my parents had gone in and typed in Elijah, and so we got this CD of about six, eight songs that all had, like, good morning, Elijah, and it's a wonderful day, Elijah. And, all the, and so it was kind of this novel, really novel thing of like, we've got music with my son's own name in it. And, you know, he's like a baby, and we'd say, do you hear it singing about you? That's you, buddy. It's you, Elijah. And, and so... <laughs> It was, it, it's neat as a novelty, and it's a nice, thoughtful gift, because it, it can, conveys care. But imagine, if it just didn't stay there, Amy and I said, you know what? 
we need, we want all the music in our home to be Elijah tunes. And so you get rid of all the CD collection, vinyl, gone. Just going straight to this company. Just ordering CD after CD. And then we get really into this. And you know what? I'm actually special too. I want CDs with Lance. Good morning, Lance. I want that kind of stuff as well. And so we become a family then. Just a wall-to-wall CD collection of tunes with my name in it. And then... As I go out and I'm driving in the car and I'm listening to other songs, it's kind of a little dissatisfying that some of the overdubs haven't happened yet. So as I'm driving and singing, I just insert them myself. With or without you, with or without you, I can't live, Lance, without you. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, or Lance, you don't have to put on that red dress tonight. Lance, somebody would need to interrupt and say, hold on. Stop. Stop, stop, stop. Somebody needs to come in, grab a few rows of those CDs and just start smashing them and say, you need to relearn music history. You, You don't get to be in every song. Especially Roxanne. That's not a good song to say, that's me. I I need an interruption. I need a breaking. I need to relearn. I need to to repent. I need to get all the way down. And, And so Paul continues. He says, in him, verse 11, you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands, your whole self ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Good to pause there to note the Bible is is weird. (laughs) Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your life in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So not easy language to access, going, okay, circumcision performed by Christ, not with human hands. I don't like to imagine that. Um, but the essence there, circumcision, would mean to like cut off, moving on. Baptism, second <laughs> metaphor, would be, he's talking about being buried and being raised. There's some severity. Dying. <laughs> Rising. Uh, here's what Paul is saying what needs to ha- happen with your narcissism. Here's what needs to happen with uh, the self. Death. Resurrection. And in fact, the reason Paul knows that is because this is at the core of Jesus' teaching, Luke 9. Jesus is with his disciples and he, and he says this. He warns them. Uh, verse 22, he said, The Son of Man, referring to himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And the followers of Jesus are like, no, no. That is not a good story. That is not heroic. Where's the glory in that? No. And then it gets harder. Verse 3. He keeps going. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple. Whoever, anyone interested in apprenticing to Jesus uh, must first deny themselves and take up their cross. 
Uh, he says must. Not this is the bonus material for the keeners. Or here's a little extracurricular. Or I stuffed a few things in the appendix. If you just want to visit that section. He says, no, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. And this is classic Jesus. He does this anytime the crowds are getting big. And he starts getting popular. He'll pull out one of these talks about denying self. And, and then the crowd. Oh, that's what it's about? It's not self-actualization. It's self-denial. Moving on. I imagine there's some who heard this and were like, okay, okay, all right. Oh, that's, that's hoping for something different. But okay, step one is, is denying yourself. Okay, so then what's next? Like when do we get on to the, like the five steps to a, a better me? When do we get that kind of stuff? Or when do we get on the stuff about you blessing my dreams? Or helping me climb the corporate ladder? I want to hear, when, when, is that coming later? Or, Jesus, have you heard of this prayer of Jabez? Really kind of neat thing. A series of books, like if I pray a certain prayer, then I get stuff. When, when does that start? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. I just want to just take a brief caveat. What self? When he says deny yourself, what self? See, what Jesus is opposing here is our tendencies towards self-worship, self-preoccupation, self-rule, and the tyranny that comes with that rule. Jesus is opposing narcissism. But what the logic he uses is that he's about the preservation of the self. How do we know that? He says, so whoever, if you want to save your life, he appeals to that desire. If you want to save your life, you need to lose your life, and if you lose your life, you'll actually save it. And he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So what he's appealing to is, is to deny the false self, to deny the narcissistic self. And, and like Copernicus, Jesus arrives on the scene and says, you know what? The sun doesn't orbit the earth. This, this, this Copernican revolution. Actually, what's at the center of the universe isn't Earth. It's the sun. And we draw our energy from the sun, and the Earth goes around the sun. Copernicus is not denying that there is an Earth. It's only sun. The universe is only sun. No, and Jesus is not saying, it's only God. You don't matter. God's interested in annihilating your, you. No, he's not denying that there is a you. He's talking about the orbit. He's talking about the rule. He's talking about the leadership of your life. So whether we're talking about orbit or balloon or who's at the center of the story or what, what the song lyrics are about, here's one more, as we keep chipping away at narcissism, one more image. Dallas Willard says, self-denial is the overall settled condition of life in the kingdom of God. Better described as death to self. In this, and this alone, lies the key to the soul's restoration. Christian spiritual formation rests on this indispensable foundation of death to self and cannot proceed except insofar as that foundation is being firmly laid and sustained. Here's a metaphor of foundation. And so do you, 
do you, can we hear this morning? God, give us grace to hear this morning that what needs to be addressed is the foundation that your life is being built upon. Can, can we have grace to hear that what's needed isn't actually a cosmetic touch-up or a reno or like a, a few more additions, kicking out the walls to go to five bedrooms, but a demolition and a rebuild on the foundation of Christ. So often we, we build upon the foundation of self and our expectations keep being, even in church, that actually this is about me. So, you know, how, how was Sunday worship? It was fine. I wasn't really into the worship. It wasn't my style. Hated the songs. Preacher was so long. Could, hated it. You know, somebody needs to say, like Copernicus, like Jesus, or like a trusted friend, when, they, when someone says, you know, I just couldn't stand the worship, somebody needs to say, oh, were you mistaken that you thought it was for you? Did you think those songs were about you? Was your, your name wasn't in any of the lyrics? Hmm, sorry. Somebody needs to say that, and as a community, we need to be able to say that in love to one another. Here's a bit of honesty. Sky Jathani. My seeker is that I want to be relevant and popular. I want my desires fulfilled and pain minimized. I want a manageable relationship with an institution rather than messy relationships with real people. I want to be transformed in the image of Christ by showing up at entertaining events rather than through the hard work of discipline. I want to wear my faith on my sleeve and not look at the darkness of my heart. And above all, I want a controllable God. I want a divine commodity to do my will on earth as well as it is in heaven. <laughs> There's a zinger, okay? Church is getting smaller as we go here. Um, here. Here is the call. Jesus says, take up your cross daily. Not one time. Ongoing. Take up your cross means Jesus, whatever, whenever, wherever. This is not about me. I am made for you. I am made to reveal beauty and to reveal glory and to carry your image. And somehow that's intermixed with my own particularity and passions and personality. But I'm made to reveal you. And that revelation, that Imago Dei goes out through daily cross-bearing and self-denial. Not a one-time event, but a posture. So this is 100% theoretical. This has nothing to do with me. But let's say there's someone who's been trying to get in shape for a long time and has been really interested in health and losing weight and has a propensity to take out people for coffee who are into health and have lost some weight and say, tell me, what is your secret? What have you done? Paleo, cool. Okay, let's try that. Whole 30 sounds good. Not at all. <laughs> and you talk to a variety of people, and, they, and, and the person says, you know, what it's come down to actually is um, just two things. The first thing is, uh, is activity, exercise, and then the second thing is eating, or paying attention to what I eat. You go, oh, exercise and eating, cool. 
talk a little bit later. So what's, what's been going on? What's, what's, how, how have you been doing this? Like, it's two things. It's exercise and eating. You're like, well, you said that last time. Uh, I remember that, that. I was just wondering if you had a, more of like a hack, like a, <laughs> just like a tweak. I was wondering if you had something else. And uh, you keep meeting with people, and what it comes down to is you are looking for a way to get healthy and lose weight while also binging on Netflix and having a love affair with Cheetos. You want that all at the same time, and what you're doing is you're building on a foundation. Give me health and weight loss, but on a foundation of comfort. And at some point, someone has to say to this guy, Actually, no, there's two things. Two things, exercise and eating. There's no hack. Two things. And we, we often come to church, come to Jesus, and say, you know, I really, man, I want to... I want to know you. I want to have intimacy with you. I want to meet other people. I would love to have better relationships and feel more connected in the community. I'm just wondering if there's a hack. If, how do I get around that? And, and Jesus is, yeah, two things, self-denial. Yeah, you said that. I actually heard that a lot. I've grown up with that message quite a bit, just wondering if, you know, no, self Denial. I was just hoping this would be easier. I wanted to build on a different foundation. I think the invitation for us is, no, just tear it down. You're trying to build on something. You keep getting disappointed because this community keeps failing you and people aren't like you and they, they don't meet your expectations and yeah, the worship isn't what you want. and So messy and real people. Nobody is like calling you a hero every week. and It's just so normal. Yeah. Because it's not about you and it's not about me. And it's not about this. This is a means to someone else. And at the center of the room, we're reminded every week, this, we, we gather not around us, we gather around the table gather around Jesus. And so to, for church to work, the foundation has to be more than me. Building on any other foundation, it just doesn't happen. It's just chronic disappointment because all it is is recycled narcissism. It's just like narcissism with maybe Christian attire and lingo around it. So two, two ways then. You go, well, how then? How do, I, how do we live more than me? Two basic things that are as obvious and plain and as annoying as exercise and eat. Worship and serve. Worship and serve. I love how this old Scottish theologian says, the way you get, uh, the only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is the expulsive power of a new one. The only way to dispossess the heart of a narcissistic self kind of worship is to worship another self. 
And so to, to be reminded, whatever you need to do in your day, and maybe it means trading off a little sleep so that you can start your day not peering into the pool, into the phone, but peering into scripture. And you, you, you can be as honest as you want about this. You can go, I'm not getting anything out of this. Right, it's not, it's not for me. It's about attending my gaze. It's about peering into scripture so I can behold the beauty of God. God, show me your glory. All things are for Christ, so getting in sync with that daily. Whatever it takes to elevate and magnify Christ in your life. You're like, I hate worship music. Like as a genre, the production value, I don't like it. It's predictable. It's the same four chords. That bridge always escalates. Everyone's too. Maybe maybe it's time you listen to more worship music or find worship music that isn't worship music but helps you magnify Christ in your inner being so that you can do what Colossians 2 says, and that's to grow stronger in your confidence and your awareness of the, the presence of Jesus. Whatever it takes, a little more desperation to, to have the expulsive power of a new affection. Personal worship, nights of worship, as Dan Klenner and others gather, gathering on a Sunday going, you may drag yourself in, again, kicking and screaming, but I am here to remember that the world does not orbit around me. Prayer nights, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Find that expulsive power of a new affection. And secondly, the expulsive power of a new habit. And that habit of being second. If you've got a clear first, then you can be second. And, and you can be second in all kinds of ways. One way would be when it's Friday night and it's game night and you don't get your way, you realize it's okay in this area if I'm second. Other things you could do would be to prioritize relationships over opportunities. What does that mean? Well, maybe instead of another weekend at Portland, you use that money to help a coworker who just got laid off. Prioritizing, finding the expulsive power of a, of a new habit of serving could mean like hospitality where the dinner party isn't the same old crew, but in, includes that neighbor and that coworker. Or, or maybe it's, Opening your weekly date night. You've got date night like clockwork. You and your partner, date night every week. Maybe a couple weeks you open that up and you include someone who you know there ain't no date night, not this week or any night, any week. And you share date night. Or maybe it means like moving across the room on a Sunday morning as an introvert saying, hey, I'm Lance and I'm awkward. Welcome. (laughs) Not in those words, but in your own way. <laughs> Maybe it means saying no to chronic overspending so that you can begin to say yes more to generous sharing. And not only being an overshare with your words, but an overshare with your belongings. And, and it learning to embrace interruptions and inconveniences as a moment in your day to go, wait a minute, this isn't about me. I'm so ticked that this person keeps coming in. I'm trying to write a sermon here. Another thing from my week. Um, maybe it means giving more time spent to intercede, to pray and to plead with God for the life and the well-being of your friends and your coworkers. 
Maybe it means you saying, I act, nobody's ever said to me, you're really good with kids. Nobody, I've never heard that, but I'm going to serve in the tots ministry. Because part of the thing is I don't really like little kids because they keep interrupting me. And they're annoying and they're loud. I don't like that. So as a little experiment, I'm going to go up to the fourth floor for a semester. Whatever it means, we get to experiment. And then there's stories that start percolating through a community that there's a bunch of people that who aren't just laying curled up, peering into their narcissistic world, start bending outward, and rumors start spreading of a bunch of people who are more than themselves, and we learn from each other, and then we become a community that next week we're going to look at that is more than us. Oh, man. How our city could use a few more people that have miraculously, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, broken the orbit of self. So let's, as we come to the table, let's, uh, wherever we're at this morning, uh, let's, let's come with um, some desperation this morning. Uh, just as we are, but, but with, you know, kind of throwing off that middle class, I'm, I'm fine. With some desperation this morning, let's come to the table. Um, and uh, we'll do that together in a moment if there's...